The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Good morning. Welcome. If you are new here, my name is Ryan and I'm your pastor. I am glad you are here. And today um, we are going to be wrapping up our series on savvy faith, learning how to share the good news of Jesus in a way that is kind, winsome, and extending the grace of God. And this topic of sermon is one um, that just offends people. And it's the topic itself. It's this idea that Jesus is the only way, or is Jesus the only way, is the question that is often asked. And this, uh, this question always, always sparks debate. And I have to let you know up front, in all of the areas that I have grown in Christ, uh, probably one of the ones where Jesus is still shaping me is having empathy and being kind because my words can sometimes fly out of my mouth before my brain can tell my mouth to shut the gate. So that's how today might go. We're going to pray and uh, jump into uh, today's message. It's going to be a little bit of a different message uh, due to the nature of um, the topic. So Father, we are here today to learn and to grow. Lord, um, Lord, I ask you in the name of Jesus to make yourself known. Father, I want nothing more than for your truth to be proclaimed and for people to come to know you, to come to a saving relationship with you. God, I understand and I, I, I see the reason why people change uh, their minds. I see the reason why people doubt. And all I ask now, Lord, is that, um, is that you would sovereignly come here, that your spirit would be the one that we bear witness about, and that if people are offended by the message, that they would look internally to ask themselves what it is they believe and why they believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. I was like, I heard something going on behind me when I was praying. It's Jeff again. Jeff's like my visitor on Sundays. Hey, buddy. Just don't get me on the way out with your guitar case. Okay, so world religions. There are so many. How can just one be true? Um, it starts with a testimony of my coming to know Jesus. I, I wanted to know about this um, God, but it wasn't until I was brought to a youth group. And what happened was um, I was in choir, and you can all applaud. No, I know you're not shocked by that because I'm an amazing voice. I'm like Christina Aguilera and Michael Buble's love child, okay? Um, and in choir, um, I liked a girl. And, and this girl that I liked, uh, she was really cool. And my friend said, hey, um, I know where she hangs out on Wednesday nights. And I was like, cool, I'd love to go. And he said, church. And I said, no thanks. Because um, I didn't think that I could go to church. I wasn't the type of person who went to church. I was the type of person who sinned greatly and boldly. And, uh, and I went, though. I went. And while I was there, I didn't look at the girl anymore. She was there, and I should have been able to, but I didn't. I was captivated by this message. Because my whole idea of Christianity growing up was God is an old man with a beard boxing with Satan, the red dude with a pitchfork and red skin and horns. So that was my idea of God. And I went there and I heard this youth pastor talking about our sin and how broken we were and how much we needed a savior. And because it was a youth group of mostly church kids, this youth pastor was trying to get the point across that we are sinful people by birth and that we need a redeemer. We need a savior. Now, I had already known I was a sinner. I said, I get this, youth guy. Get to the point. I need the fix. How do I get out of the predicaments that I am in? And he said that there was this person named Jesus who came and died on a cross for me. And I was amazed. 
I thought, is this true? Is this real? And I went up to him afterwards, totally forgetting about the girl. I said, why should I believe this instead of my Jehovah's Witness friend or instead of my Mormon friend or instead of my Muslim friend? And he did the best thing for me. He said, I want you to take this Bible. This is my treasured Bible. I still have this Bible. And he said, I want you to read one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, in the book of Romans. So I chose Matthew because it's the first one and I didn't know any better, and Romans. And he said, go to your friends and ask them or their parents or their religious leaders, who is God? How do we get to be with God forever? How does God fix the problem of sin and pain and suffering in this world? And just interview them. I said, okay, I'll do it. So I did. I read Matthew, and I was tearing through it. I was going through Romans as a fresh kid right into this faith. And then I, I called my friends together. We had known each other, and I, I wanted to know. I was like, okay. Um, my, my friend Amir, he was a Muslim kid. We were in PE together. And I was so terrible to, uh, to Amir because he, was, he would go through Ramadan where they're not allowed to drink anything um, during this, between sunrise and sunset. And in PE, his lip would be sweating. And I'd be like, dude, just lick your lip. It's not a sin. Um, I was a terrible human. Um, but I got to meet with, with him and, and his family, and I got to ask them questions. What is, what is Allah? Who is Muhammad? How do you get to know God? What does it mean to follow him and be in this religion? Um, I had another friend who was um, in, in the Mormon church, and, uh, and I had grown up with this kid, and I said, hey, um, I want, I'm doing this thing. I'm like religious exploration, super into it. And I'd, I'd kind of always been piqued about the interest of God, but I never had this concrete from the institutions. So I, my, I said, where do I go to join your Mormon thing? And he said, oh, man, it's great. We meet before high school, starts at 6 a.m. right across the street. So you just get there at 6, and then you can walk over to school that starts at 7.30. And I was like, that is not the Lord's religion for me. Um, because 6 o'clock for a 17-year-old is ridiculous. But I went, and I, I peppered him with questions. Tell me about this. Tell me about this. Why do you guys have all these books? What is, the, what is the Book of Mormon different from the Bible? What is the Pearl of Great Price? I want some pearls. Do I get pearls if I join? Like, I want to know these things. And then I learned about Joe Smith, and I was like, yeah, this guy's cool. He's got, the, he's got the gold plates, the magic stuff. Do I get that in this religion? And, uh, and I didn't. And then I went, uh, and I had Jehovah's Witness friends. Most of my life, I've been surrounded by different religions. And I went and asked the same questions. And I came to the point where I thought, I really like this Jesus guy. I mean, he did a few shady things, like he stole that kid's lunchbox to feed 5,000 people, but I'll give that a pass because it was cool. He walked on water. He healed people. He rose, raised people from the dead. He didn't like religious people. This was my kind of guy. So I told God, God, um, I'm on your team. I don't know what to do next, but I've read Matthew. I've read Romans. I've started to read the book of Acts. So I'm going to go tell the youth pastor that I'm going to be on Team Jesus now. So I went and I said, hey, I want to become one of you people. What do I have to do? Here's what I told Jesus. I'm following him. I'm on his team because I was a you know, basketball like team. It makes sense in my brain. He's my coach, head coach. And the youth pastor said, I think you made yourself a Christian. I was like, no, 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 no. I read Romans. Jesus made me a Christian. But I get what you mean. And it began my journey. Now, how many people, by a show of hands, have someone, friend, family, neighbor, who believes and practices a different religion? Most of us. Okay. 2.2 billion Christians in the world, approximately. Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant branches. We look to the Bible. Islam has approximately 1.6 billion looks to the Quran. Uh, their main prophet is Muhammad. Our main man, the deity, son, God, Nabad, Jesus Christ. Hinduism, 1.1 billion. They look to the Vedas, Vedangas, Upanishads, Puranas. Great reading if you want to sleep. Uh, Buddhism, 1 billion. They look to the Dharma, the noble truths. They're an offshoot of Hinduism. Chinese folk religions, 100 million uh, in the 100 millions of Chinese folk religions. Tens of millions of Shinto. Tens of millions of Sikhism. 14, 18 million in Judaism. That's a lot of religions. So my question today, is Jesus the only way? And as we're going today, I want you to know, you can text in questions behind me at that number, 
and we will answer a handful of those at the end of service. They did not hold back in the first sermon. Uh, They definitely gave me some hard questions and some joyful responses to my message. But I believe it's important for us to ask these questions. Because according to a survey, another survey suggests that 36% of people are irreligious, non-religious. However, half of them believe in a God of some type. My question is, why do we have all of these coexist bumper stickers? Why do we have all of these ideas that always may lead to God? And we're going to answer those questions today. We're going to also answer the question, is there such a thing as truth? Capital T, truth. Ultimate truth. Absolute truth. Because one thing that is often said is, don't push your beliefs on me, or who are you to judge? I believe that there is truth, and we're going to talk about that in a second. Now, I'm going to let you guys know in a little bit. Um, first service, I went so fast with these verses. So there's two ways to study and read the Bible. One way is to go into the Bible deeply and slowly and to explore it. Imagine walking through an orchard and the Bible is like the oranges and you walk and you look at the tree and the color of the leaves, you grab the orange and you taste the juice of the orange. That's one way. That's not what we're doing today. Today, I'm putting us all in a jet and we're going to fly at Mach 2 over the grove. And I want you to stick your face out the window and try to catch an orange in your mouth. Okay, we got that? Because we're going to go fast, which is why there's not going to be passages on the board. Uh, And this is for us to get an idea of what the Bible says about the way to salvation. And is there only one way? And is that way Jesus? First, John 3, 16, famous, famous verse, most popular end zone verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It goes on. We always only do the happy part. Verse 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned, condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There are hundreds of thousands of people with John 3.16 tattoos on their body. I have never met a person with John 3.18 tattooed on their body. Whoever does not believe is condemned. I mean, it'd make a great prison tat, but I don't know why I haven't seen it. But who is the Son of God? Like, who, who is the Son of God in this verse? And what does the Son of God have to say for himself? Now, if you, if you have not read the book of John lately, please go read the book of John. It takes less than uh, the time to watch a football game. It takes about two and a half hours if you read at conversation speed, not this speed. This is much faster. It's like an hour and a half. But conversation speed, if you can turn off your ADD for two and a half hours, you can read the whole book. We're going to read a bunch of it today. Are you ready? My caffeine is surging through my veins like cosmic power. This is who Jesus, the Son of God, says he is. John 6, 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread I will give for the life of this world is my flesh. I love that God wired eating into the human experience. I love it so much. I love that he made us have hunger pains. And literally, if you don't eat, you die. You cannot eat for only a a certain allotment of time. If you're drinking water, you can maybe live, I'm going to say max out, somewhere around 40 to 50 days. And we're talking maxing out. And that's if you have a healthy reserve of Sonic, Burger King, and other things to eat off of. Are you tracking? I love that God wired us this way. And then Jesus comes and says, I am living bread. You need bread to live. You need food to live. We all know the feeling of hunger pains. Some of you right now, you skip breakfast. You had like a half a banana and three cups of coffee. Your stomach is already thinking about the golden corral. I get it. I need you to understand that the same way your body is craving for physical food, God has wired us to need Jesus for spiritual life. And some of us only eat a meal once a week, and then we wonder why our life feels anemic. Some of us come and we say, I get Jesus, it's so good. And then by the time Wednesday rolls around, we're angry and grumpy and cantankerous 
because you haven't been eating. Jesus says, I am the bread. I have come to give life, but you need to take me in, eat me, consume me, make me part of what drives you. John 18, 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light that lets us see spiritual truth and reality. It's just like in real life, like no one sins in the dark. If you are with Christ, you won't sin. When I was um, in high school, right when I became a follower of Jesus, I was a terrible example of a Christian, which is the only type of Christians that there are really, terrible examples of Christians at times. Um, But my friend and I, we wanted to make all the other high schoolers feel shame. So we had these New Year's Eve parties at one of my friend's houses. And they would always be dancing. And this friend, he had the big subwoofers. This was back before, like, they had these, like, Bluetooth speakers when an actual speaker was a speaker. And all of the kids would be dancing. Now, this was before twerking, so it wasn't quite as sinful. But they would be dancing in the dark. There'd be strobe things, lasers going on. And me and my friend Josh, we were the holy rollers, the Bible thumpers, the obnoxious Christian people. We'd go to the light switch, and we'd wait till, like, 11.45, right when Will 2K was just bumping on the way to the new millennium where the world was supposed to end. You remember that? We're still here. And uh, we'd flip the light switch, and all of a sudden, all these kids that were like dancing just like, would just freeze and scatter like roaches because they knew. They knew that what they were doing, what high schoolers do at dances here, it's basically like trying to copulate but with clothes on, and the light made them run from their sins. This, this is what Jesus comes to do. He comes to put a light in the dark regions of your heart. And when you become a follower of Jesus, it is God's one-way love, his grace, his gift, crashing into you and showing you who you are. And then all of Christian life is God, through Jesus, shining a light down the corridors of your heart, saying, hey, look over here, this is broken. Hey, look over here, this is leading to bad decisions. Jesus is the only way to have that light permeate through our life. And if you have him in you, darkness will be expelled out. John 8, 58 Jesus says to tie all of these I am statements together, they were pastors and priests and they were heckling Jesus saying, you can't be who you say you are. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And the reason I do that is because I like to picture what Jesus is doing. Um, Do you guys remember my favorite mic drop of all mic drops was um, Obama's State of the Union address? Like, I don't care where you are politically. I'm just going to say, that guy can pull off a serious mic drop. Because he did his eight years, and you know that guy, like, Don't get all political on me. Man, you know that guy was beat up. Like the before and after pictures of all the presidents are pretty bad. But I looked at Obama's before and after and I was like, dang, man, you're like a pastor. (laughs) And he gave, someone just told me that today. So these three years have taken their toll on you, Ryan. I'm like, you're telling me. He he just dropped that thing. I picture Jesus doing that with the, the priests and the pastors of his day, the Pharisees and Sadducees. They're heckling him. And they're saying, you're not even 50 years old. How can you say that you were back here then? How can you say that you knew this guy? And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Now, what he was doing is he was pointing back to the Charlton Heston movie, I mean Moses, and saying, um, saying I, I was, I am the person that was in the burning bush. It was my voice. It was my presence. I am that I am. Jesus was claiming equality with God. This is what got him killed, claiming that he was God. John 10, 9, he goes on to say, I am the door. He's not a door. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
There is no life without Jesus, no resurrection without Jesus. There is no door but Jesus. He is the good shepherd who cares for his sheep and lays down his life for them. John 15, 1, I am the true vine, abide in me, and I in you. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in Jesus is connected to Jesus. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Now this is what Jesus said about himself. So you can... As C.S. Lewis famously put, you can put Jesus in one of three categories. He can either be a liar, a lunatic, or a lord. He can, he's a liar because either what he said is true or not. If you don't believe it's true, call him a liar. But you can't say that he's just a good teacher like so many want to do. So many want to say he's just a good teacher because they take one or two of his topics and they say, see, good teacher. You don't just take one or two of a person's topics if they're a good teacher. You take all of them. So was he the son of God? Is he the way? Is he the I am who was in the burning bush? Was he there at the, at the dawn of time creating this world by the word of his power? Or was he not? Because if he wasn't, then he's a lunatic. Or he's going to be Lord. That you would submit and say, you are more than I am. You are bigger, stronger, more powerful. Surely there is no way but in you. Now, the Bible I mean, has countless verses for in him. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself. Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name, no other name, Muhammad, Buddha, Confucianism, the Sikh religions. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And then the last I am statement for this morning is John 14.6. Jesus says famously, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I've, um, I've been harsh about other, with other religions. I, I don't know what it is. It's, I think it's because early on I started in like a battle mode where they would come and I knew they were trying to convert me and I would say, I see your attempt at conversion and I raise you 300. I know this sounds exclusive. You know why? Because it, it is exclusive. Jesus himself is saying there is one way. The Bible is saying there is one way. So, the questions you're going to have, without a doubt, someone is thinking, what about the part person who never hears about Jesus? The monk in Tibet, the person born in the 1100 ADs in Mongolia, the person in the dark forest of somewhere. What about them? You could text in the question if you have it. I likely don't have answers for every situation. I have, I have a lot of answers because I, I've read a lot, but at the end of the day, I've learned something about Western Christianity. If I give out answers and answers, or you go on YouTube and find answers, you listen to other things, you read books, you get answers... There's this thing that I fear will happen, and it's that we get puffed up thinking, I have the right doctrine, I am so right, I am in the almighty group of rightness, and we get prideful. God in Christianity ought to prevent us from being prideful, yet we are so prideful, we try to use our power, we try to use our political sway to change the outcome of things. Now, I do believe we have the correct answer, but it's no work of your own. None of you are smart enough to ascend to know God. God had to reveal himself to us. The Bible says that people are called to God by God so that they can believe in God. It's not about us being smart enough, having a high enough IQ, EQ, or whatever Q. It's about us saying, according to these passages, what does the scripture teach about Jesus, God, ourselves, and the nature of salvation? It teaches that Jesus is the only way. Do you believe it or do you not? Now, there are devout people from other faiths not accepted into the 
uh, from other faiths. Now, are they accepted into the family of God? Like, we have these sort of offshoots of Christianity that are very prominent. We have Mormons and Jehovah's Witness. Mormons are the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Jehovah's Witness, um, and Christian science. Like, all these little offshoots around us. But my question to you is, if they're devout, and you may think, well, they're devout. God will let them in. Does, does belief, devout belief, does that make something true? Does it make something true just because you believe it with all your heart? This um, one time, I was coming out of a Verizon store. That was back when I had Verizon. Those were the good old days. Then I decided I loved dropped calls, so I switched to T-Mobile. And, um, and I was coming out with my new phone. So excited to have this Verizon phone. It was back in the day. And I was with my wife, and I saw two young men coming up. Slacks, white pressed shirt with starch, slender tie. You know who they were. They were Mormons. And my wife is like, I could feel her soul saying, no, can we just go? But inside me, I'm like, ooh, it's time to play, you know? And, um, and they come over, and I'm like, hey, how's it going? How's it going? Oh, good, man. I'm playing it cool. How are you doing? And this is a bad example of Ryan being a loving pastor, by the way. And they say, can we, do, can we take a minute and share with you about our, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? I was like, absolutely. And they started to tell me, oh, have you, are you familiar with this, the church. I said, actually, I've read all your books. I, I own some, too. It's really cool. I've got the versions before you edited them in 1947. I am all about the Mormon faith. Joe Smith, cool guy, gold plates. If I find them, eBay, they're going. And, um, and there, they started asking me questions. And you could see right away, there was two guys. There was an aggressor and then a passive person coming up. And I'm not like a small person. Like, if you don't know me, if we haven't stood next to each other, you can come stand next to me. I'm six foot six. I, I weigh a solid 220 on my DMV weight, you know, so I'm, you know, it's getting, my jeans are not skinny fit. It's just my thighs filling them out. I'm a big boy. And, uh, and I, I, so I'm standing here, these two little kids, 18 years old, little. One's an aggressor, one's a passive. And they said, what, what, what else do you know about your faith? And in my brain, I'm thinking, I feel so bad for these kids. Because right when I became a follower of Jesus, I went on eBay because I was fascinated with the Mormon church and I had some Mormon friends growing up. So I bought their missionary training manual on eBay for $36, okay? So I had already read it. I already knew all of their talking points. I felt so bad for these poor kids. And we started talking, and I just was dismantling one after the other. But they believed devoutly in their Mormon religion. As a matter of fact, he asked me why I believed Christianity to be true. And I said, well, because of the evidence for the resurrection. And we went through some of the apologetics, the arguments for that. I went through the historical reliability of the Bible compared to other ancient texts. And then I said, why do you believe in the Mormon religion? And he said, I prayed about it, and God gave me a burning in my bosom. And I said, dude, you are 18. Never use the word bosom again. This is not okay for your age. And I said, I want you to do something. Close your eyes, and I want you to imagine that I'm a 400-pound sumo wrestler warrior whatever I said, something ridiculous. And he actually closed his eyes, and I was like, oh, when did I could just, no, I didn't. Um, he closed his eyes, other guy didn't, scared, quiet guy didn't. This guy closed his eyes. I said, I want you to believe with all your heart. I want you to devoutly believe, and I want you to see if your belief is going to change me into a 400-pound sumo warrior or a two-foot pygmy warrior. You take your pick. And obviously he knew, he opened his eyes. It's not going to work. Why isn't it going to work? Because what's true is true, regardless of whether or not someone believes it or not. There has to be something called absolute truth. And even if you say, I don't believe in absolute truth, my first question is going to be, is that absolutely true? Are you tracking? Because this is where religions and worldviews, they get in this cycle where they want to say things that sound nice, but they're not thinking through because we've had this flood of information and Wikipedia is coming out of our ears, and we just forget how to process thoughts. 
Now, that didn't end well. I was a bad human back then. It ended with them walking away, saying something about hell. And I was like, you don't even believe in an eternal hell. Ah. And, um, and Jesus had to save me from that, unfortunately. So you might be thinking, well, okay, you shouldn't judge people from other religions. Maybe Christianity is true for you, but it's not true for me. I go back, is there such a thing as truth? And there's these very popular parables that teach this concept. One of them is from uh, the Indian, uh, Indian region of the world. The parable goes like this. There is an elephant, and there are blind men approaching the elephant. And religion is like the blind man, and each blind man represents a different religion. So it's like you approach the elephant, and there's the guy at the front of the elephant who says, whatever this thing is, it's like a, it's like a giant snake, like a boa constrictor, and it grabs me, and it's, it's moving all around, and it's strong. And there's, a, there's another blind man by the ear who says, no, that's not what this is at all. This is a, it's papery. It feels sort of like canvas or something. There's another guy by the leg and says, no, it's not that. It's, it's like a tree. It's like a tree. You guys are all wrong. And there's another blind man at the body, and he says, it's like a rock. It's like a, I can't even move this thing. It's like a giant rock covered in canvas. And then there's a guy at the back, and he's like, no, you guys are, there's some little piece of hair hitting me, and it's humid and windy back here. I just made that up to see who was, who was paying attention. That was the butt. That was for the middle schoolers and the 30-year-olds in the room, okay? And the, the parable goes, this is what world religions are like. We're all approaching it from a different angle, but you only have a piece. Christianity is a piece. Islam is a piece. Mormonism is a piece. Christian science is a piece. New Age is a piece. There's a problem, a glaring problem with this that you don't see unless you take three steps back. It's like inception. The problem with this is that the person telling the story is actually claiming the most arrogant platform of all. While trying to show and say that religions are arrogant for saying their way is exclusive, there's one person in the story, and that's the narrator. And they're basically saying, I am the only one who can see all the religions of this world with thousands of years of historical background are blind, and I, this new-aged movement person, can see. It's the same illustration put into the Baha'i faith and, and really promulgated by Oprah, the, the mountain with many different paths, the, the Eckhart Tolle sort of thing. It's, it's the same thing. Oh, Christianity is one path to the top. Islam is another path to the top. Mormonism, Buddhism, Hinduism, they all go to the same place, just the godness. The problem is, once again, in an effort to try to be peacekeepers, someone is standing on the throne of arrogance saying, these religions just see only one path. I, the almighty Eckhart Tolle, see all paths. Or fill in whichever new age person you've read lately. So, I don't think they could be all equally true. I've read the books. I've read the English translation of the Quran. I've read the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price. I've read the Jehovah's Witness translation. I've read the Upanishads, the Vedas. I've read the Dharmic teachings. And the majority of those religions claim exclusivity. So the next question should be, if they're not all equally true, can they all be equally just invalid? Could all views of ultimate truth regarding spirituality be equally invalid? Now, it's, there's so many rabbit trails. I would love to just be nerdy. If you want to like, ask a ton of questions, you can just treat me to lunch, and I'll answer as many questions as long as there's food on the table. So, so I want you to think about some of these things, because you'll hear things like, well, we don't need religion. Religion was a crutch. It's a crutch for weak people. And um, I used to get so mad at that because I wanted to be strong. And then I realized, actually, religion's not a crutch. It's a hospital bed with a defibrillator because I'm dead in need of life. I'm not just weak in need of a little hobbling. Are you tracking? Because Christianity is not just a crutch for me because I'm weak. I am weak. And I'm so weak. Before Christ, I was spiritually dead. 
yet he brought me to life. Some philosopher types, I, I love, I love by love I mean hate, um, my, my least favorite person to run into at a coffee shop or bar is the freshman or sophomore college student who's majoring in philosophy. My least favorite humans. I mean, I love them. They're cute. They're like puppies. You see them, and I'm like, ah, oh, that's so cute. You just started to shave. You're so adorable. And then they just make a mess of your living room with all of their puppy food coming out the other end. That's what it's like. Because they just got Wikipedia and books, and they just discovered Nietzsche. And they'll say, all truth claims are just power grabs. And then I'll say, is that a truth claim? Are you trying to grab power from me with a Nietzsche quote? And then they'll quote more Nietzsche at me. I, I get it. I get it. Religion has done atrocious things. I push back against many religious things because I think even now today, I think a large breadth of Christianity has gotten it wrong. We've used shame and guilt and fear to manipulate people into giving or serving or attending. That's not what the Bible teaches So I get it, that there is power that the church does leverage. I've been tempted to use that myself. You know how amazing it would be if I could just leverage shame to get people to give or to serve more? I could just say, hey, we need children's workers. You guys, if we don't get five more workers today, I guarantee you some of those kids will end up apart from God in hell forever. That's religion. Or I could say, we really need to build a new building. You know what? If you give to this building program, God is going to expand your checking account 10,000-fold unless someone hacks your T-Mobile number last week and you find out a week later that the reason it was hacked was so someone could steal $3,000 from your bank account, allegedly. Sorry, Amy and I are still working through this bitterness. I could, we could use shame. This is why Nietzsche plucks on the heartstrings because it sounds okay. Or the psychologist. Freud says all views of God are really just psychological projections to deal with our guilt and insecurity. My question is, is that view of non-God just a psychological projection to deal with your insecurity and guilt? Because we, we all have guilt. It's the common human experience. You do something that you know is wrong. You feel remorse for it. You can either say, I'm going to forget about it and just let it go, or you can come to Jesus who says, I will deal with your guilt and make it so that you are a child of God, a saint of God. No sin you've ever done, are doing, or will do is held against you. You are perfect. You are mine forever. I like that way of my guilt being removed, not just trying to wish it away like fairy dust. Or my favorite from the barologist. That's not the sociologist or the psychologist. The barologist is a studier of fine drinks and carbonated beverages. People will tell me, you're only a Christian because you were born in this time and in this country. You'd be a Muslim if you were born in a Muslim country, to which, depending on what kind of mood I am or how much coffee I've had, I'll usually reply something like, well, I wasn't born into like a a devout Christian family, but I was born in this country, and if I'm feeling really snarky, like if I hadn't had coffee or food in a long time, I'll say something like, you know, you're only a secular humanist because you were born here in this day and age, and if you were born or went to bring your ideas to a a radical Muslim country, you'd be dead before you hit the end of the street. But don't worry, I still like you. Now, I don't believe that all Muslims are evil and want to kill people. Just don't send me that email. Send that to somewhere else. My email address is revedwinnewman at gmail.com. What I need us to understand is that everybody, everybody is exclusive. 
Everybody makes a claim that there is an exclusive way to live, even if they say, I'm a coexist person, there is no truth, everything is good for everyone else. That itself is a truth claim. It is a claim that there is nothing to stand on, but at the end of the day, what they're standing on is nothingness. They're standing on no solid argument because if you say there is no truth, that has to be true or not. So my question is, which exclusive claim leads humanity to the most flourishing, to the most love, to the most joy, to the most peace? And here's where I think I would differ and do differ from many, many people, including some of my peers. Um, If we tout that we are right, and I know I've done a terrible job at this because most of my history with this is just being faster witted than people that I talk to. And that's not fair. My mom and my wife are here. They will tell you 99% of arguments, no matter if I'm entirely wrong, I can win because my mouth runs on high octane. My mom and my wife know that I haven't really won. There's this line that my mom taught my wife, and I I don't even know why I still let them come to this church. Uh, (laughs) My mom taught my wife this line that says, I know you think you won because you said things faster, but you didn't, or something like that. And it's true. And I know it. In my heart, I know. Like, I really lost this thing. And let's just be fair. As a husband, if you ever win, you lost anyway. So I know in this, in this area of, of religions and truth claims, I can come across as brash and unempathetic. I am deeply empathetic because I think a lot of this stems from confusion and a lack of critical thinking. I I wish, like most people do, that we would all think similarly, and we don't. Um, But I I wish with all my heart that Christianity would get such a tight hold on the grace of God that we would have a different posture change. So instead of saying, we're right, you're wrong, be like us, or you're gone, that's, that's this Christian. That's the Christian that says, my way's the right way. Come be like me, look like me, be clean like me, believe what I believe, and then everything will be good with you. But that's not Christianity. Christianity isn't, look how amazing we are. Christianity is, look how amazing he is. Christianity isn't, come clean up your life and live exactly like me. Christianity is, I, this Jesus saved me. I was a train wreck. There's room for you. Come to the cross. It's amazing that he would love a wretch like you and me because no one in here has the intellectual capacity to believe all the right things. When we get to heaven, stand before God, and we're going to say, whoa, I was wrong. You loved me so much. This is so incredible. I can't believe you adopted me, saved me, brought me in. It's, he's not going to say when you arrive at the pearly gates and however it looks, the pearl, the Peter, the whatever, the gold streets, you're not going to get up to God and God's going to be like, dang, you were wicked smart. You who barely passed third grade math. I mean, you want to feel dumb? Try having a nine-year-old right now with common core math. I realize something. I can't figure out common core math. And I'm expected to figure out the mysteries of the universe and total completion and accuracy? It is ridiculous. Now, I have figured it out, by the way. If you need any parenting tips, here's what you do with Common Core. You look at the math question, you say, what's the dumbest way possible to answer this? And that's how you do it, okay? I figured it out. Um, No, you guys clap for that and you don't clap for Jesus? My goodness. We're going to pray. I'm done. You guys need communion. Someone go to Panera, get three loaves of bread, eat it yourself. You need that much Jesus, okay? Um, This is what what we've got to do as a Christian church. We've got to say, 
our exclusive views, while exclusive they are, are, is the only religion, different from every other religion, where the primary point person was perfect. Muhammad said himself, I am a man like any other. Buddha admitted his flaws and sins and tried to purge them by good behavior. Um, the Hindu gods, there are so many gods, depending on which taxi cab you get into, you better pray that you get the right elephant or not. Jesus is the only point person of a religion that said, I'm perfect, I've done no wrong. Even his enemies, Pontius Pilate, said, in him there is no guilt that I can find. And Jesus is the only person who gave his life for his people. Jesus is the only way and the only deity that said, I will give up my perfection on the cross so that you can be covered in it. And I'm going to take your sin upon me so that you are fully paid for, bought and owned, purchased, perfect forever. Too many of us are going to walk out if you're still feeling imperfect even though we believe in Jesus. I need you to know that when you walk in and out of these doors today, if you are in Christ, if you have believed in him, confessed that he is the Lord, you are as perfect and as loved as you will ever get. And it is 1,000%. When somebody cuts you off on the way out of here and you say an expletive before you even get past the chapel sign, God's love meter doesn't dip for you. His love is not like one of those applause meters But if we keep treating it that way, if we keep thinking that I've done so bad, now God's going to smite me, if we keep putting our hope for salvation in our behavior and not in what Jesus has done for us, then we're going to give the world a, a bad view of exclusivity. Because what happens when you see that it's all about grace, when it's this radically free gift, is that we're no longer the exclusive, arrogant people. Now we're the people who just love because we've been loved. Now we're the people who we reach into communities because Jesus reached into our community. Now we're the people who leave the comfort of where we live because Jesus left the comfort of the throne of heaven to come to us. This is the good news. And we get it so wrong so often. I get it wrong so often. I stand in arrogance. And we've just got to ask for forgiveness and keep moving forward. Because we are saints, sons and daughters of the King called to an amazing, holy calling to bring this radical good news to others. The good news isn't get cleaned up so that God will love you. It's that God loved you and gives you the spirit. So now he's going to help you get cleaned up. Let's pray. Father, I love you, Lord. God, I love my church family. That they would clap for Common Core is so good to me. I pray for everyone in this room, including myself, that you would teach us your ways, that you would help us be more empathetic and caring and kind. God, I ask for forgiveness for all of the times where I've been uncaring, sharp-tongued, and rude. I pray that we would be gripped by your exclusive nature of salvation that teaches us that it's all of gift anyway. Lord, be with us. Change us. In Jesus' name, amen.